Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well. Plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Achtung, achtung. Welcome to We Have Ways of Making You Talk with me, Al Murray, and James Holland. Uh, recording for you bright on this uh, freezing cold Monday morning. I'm in London, James is in Wiltshire. Um, how are you, Jim? Yeah, I'm all right. Um, it's sort of blowing a gale here. That's the main thing. It's actually not very cold. It's quite mild. It's just really, really windy. Um, it's you know, it's not it's not here. good weather for um, doing a cross channel invasion. That's for sure. And, uh... <laughs> we'll get to that. We'll get to that in a bit. <laughs> but, but, but the exciting news is I did write the end on the book. Yes, uh, yesterday. So that was exciting. And yes. um, you know, I'm sort of twiddling around still, and I've got a few little bits I've got to just sort of tweak out before I fire it off to the publishers. But yeah, um, yep. you know, it's always a big moment. You get to the last page of the book and all the rest of it, and you kind yeah, of think, well done. Oh, Congratulations. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm sort of I'm not feeling. Instilled with enthusiasm for writing <laughs> Casino <laughs> straight away. Not least because, you know, the savage storm ends in a sort of yeah. crescendo of violence and awfulness. Yeah. Um, which I've got to say has been quite bleak. Yeah. It's, yeah. Well, I there's, mean, there's not much joy in the world in Italy in, well, not much joy in Italy in December yeah. 1943. There's no, it's not like there's a, it's not like there's a, um, a happy ending, is it? It's because the war's really. still going on, you know. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> another, another sort of 15 months. <laughs> this was just a short-term, quick gain <laughs> operation. Short-term goals to kind of support Operation Overlord. Right. But yes, but then I got, and then, then I had an extraordinary conversation with um, someone who shall remain nameless at the moment, who who rang me about the fate of RAF Scampton. Obviously, well, now, you, you know, we, we went there, didn't we? And we well, walked around Guy Gibson's door and we, and we talked to the people who are very proud to fly the flag for Team GB at Red Arrows, and that was good. <laughs> well, yes, to the completely uninitiated, um, uh, RAF Scampton is from where the dams raid, Operation Chastise, um, uh, was, was embarked um, in May of nineteen. And where they trained from. And where they trained from and everything. And it's so From it's, where they um, trained. If, if ever there's a... a a bomber command historic site. It's probably that one. Um, and and what have you heard, Jim? Well, so it got decommissioned by the RF uh, last summer. Yep. Um, there was a sort of you know 
um, sundown ceremony in very early of September last year, and yep. that was all fine. And and everyone was sort of okay about it because there was this fantastic plan that was being put together, this sort of um, private venture uh, called Scampton Holdings. Yeah. And the idea was to do very much what they've done at Bicester. And you, you may remember going around there. They've turned it oh, into it. You know, the heritage is really good. They look after that. But it's an absolute hub of small businesses and, you know, the sort of – Classic car body workshops. There's, there's a microbrewery. There's, there's a microbrewery. Space so, you can rent. The whole thing. The whole thing is just a sort of pleasure to be there, and the, and and the nod to the heritage is absolutely everywhere. Yeah. So Scampton Holdings have rather kind of taken this as their their um their kind of sort of you know shining example, and they they yeah. developed a three hundred million pound plan, uh, which was a hundred percent proved, and which was so going to bring up. a thousand Leveling jobs. Up, right? and the other, Leveling what? up. Leveling up, right? Leveling up in Lincoln, which is a very, very poor county. Yeah. yeah. And you may remember that, that Lincoln was particularly strong in its feelings about Brexit. Yeah. And the motivation was the huge amounts of um, what they felt was sort of migrants coming into into Lincoln. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, Lincoln is a poor county. So this was this was ticking a whole number of boxes every which way you look at it. The other good thing is, is that I remember going around the um, officer's mess you know, ten years ago, and it was yeah. it was sort of looking pretty down at heel. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Um. And it's ju- right now. It's on that cusp. It's yeah. on that cusp where it needs major work quickly, or, or fall else fall completely, or fall apart completely. So I've just got to let my dog in. Hold on. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Well, I think letting the dog in at this point, ladies and gentlemen, constitutes some sort oh, of. No, it wasn't my dog. It was the wind. Um. <laughs> Anyway, so we're leaving that. So, in. so the, the plan was to turn the officers' mess, which is an absolutely sort of you know iconic building, you know nineteen thirties standard yeah. architecture. Literally yeah. every RF mess in the country looks exactly the same, but yeah. it is where you know certainly all the officers for, um, for the dams raid were, were living the night before, you know the fifteenth, sixteenth yeah. of, of of May before they yeah. set off, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. Yeah, yeah. It's where they returned to, um, I remember going into kind of, you know, what was what had been Charlie Williams's room where he'd written his last letter to his yep. girlfriend who he was going to marry the kind of Monday or Tuesday after the dams raid, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So, you know, it's a, it's a very kind of, a, a very kind of um, amazing place and um, it was going to be a hotel. The government have just come in and told them to hold it because they're about to turn it into a refugee detention centre. What? And you just think, I mean, how uh, on earth is that a good plan? Now, obviously, the, you know, refugees coming to the country, there's a problem, they need to be housed somewhere. But I would argue that at a time of levelling up, North Lincolnshire and Scampton is not the place to do it. I also think that those possibly sensitive to uh, some of the optics and politics around the uh, detention centres and the question of immigration... Putting it where the dam busters raid, um, you know. I mean, I don't, I don't, you know. Let's. I, what I don't want to do is lose my match of the day job. That's all I want to say. Right, no, right no, now. no, no, no. <laughs> but but let's stick our necks out here. I mean, that just seems that seems very that seems very 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 strange. Um, I, well, I, I got I, someone else ringing about it today. I, right. I just think it just seems insane. Yeah, yeah. Well, there we go. I mean, the thing is. It's best, if you if you'd said to me, oh, well, they're going to turn it into a housing estate and they're just going to put houses on it, in, in you know, in the manner that because it's a great big stretch of fantastic um, flat um, level land, isn't it? After yeah. all, well, they're going to keep the they're going to keep the runway open, everything. Well, and everything, and and Bista, I mean, obviously, we, and the other things we do need housing stock too. Is there's the other that's the other issue is we are short of housing in this country and everyone knows it, which is after all another reason there's pressure on housing with a growing population, whichever way it's growing, 
you know, whether it's people being born here or coming from elsewhere, anyway, whatever, you know, but if, if you told me that, I think, well, fair enough. I'd suck my teeth at it, not like it much, but it's Scampton and times move and things change. But but this function, it just anyway, let's not get let's well, not. just in a county which is already short of money and where they where, yeah. where where they've been talking the talk about leveling up. And here yeah. is a leveling up project yeah. which is really, really good for the Lincoln area and for the East Lindsay yeah. Council, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. What is not good for that place is a, is clearly a detention centre. I mean, I accept you've got to have them somewhere, but yeah. there are quite a lot of disused airfields over this country. Yeah, and I would argue that every single one of them is not as historic and herit- you know has yeah. got as much heritage as Scampton. Yeah. yeah, what can you do? What can you do? Well, I tell you what. What we're going to do is we're going to talk. We're going to we're going to do a couple of podcasts, aren't we? And we're going to start <laughs> when Britain was under threat in a different way. Yeah, from the from <laughs> possible invasion by sea. Yes, uh, uh, there we go. <laughs> um, and we're going to talk about Operation Sea Lion. Um, that um. Styled by some as the greatest battle, the biggest non-battle in history. And uh, Sea Lion, what we're going to do, we're going to talk talk about this in two portions. Um, we're going to talk about the real Operation Sea Lion, um, the, 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 the events and non-events of 1940 around around that name. And then, um, in our, but then we're going to talk about the war game that was run in 1974. Um, and there's all sorts of reasons to talk about that. Aside from that, it's fascinating, um, which, we'll, which we'll get to. But Jim... When we've talked about the Battle of Britain before, and when we've talked about, you know, uh, Halifax and Churchill in the garden at Downing Street, um, uh, quite clearly what's on everyone's mind at that point is the possibility of 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 defeat and or invasion, isn't it? That's the that's the mm. that's the crux issue, and invasion sort of replaces defeat as the worry, doesn't it? Um, the, the, there's a feeling while Dunkirk's happening that actually it's over, and the best thing to do is sue for peace. And and the British government, due to Churchill's leadership, sweats out that particular um, fever, and then moves on to the idea that that they they're going to be invaded. And the reason they think that is because they know that the Germans are making plans, that the Germans are supposedly preparing to invade Great Britain. But to what extent? And what are the plans? Well, who's making it- them? And yeah. then we'll get to actually how feasible is it all? Because because the other thing we've uh, I've I've suggested well you know if the Germans had bounced across the Channel uh, you know yes. mid, late June late mid mid to late June early July nineteen forty they might have put put such a panic on in London because London's still sort of tinged with panic isn't it at that point aside from the fact whether whether that's possible or not is that is the actually the is obviously the key well we, we should go into that because there well, is well, there's, there's, well, well we let's, absolutely let's, must go into whether the germans okay. could have done it or not well they can't uh, well um, well but but had they been able to do something in early july they might have caused a political they may have caused a political collapse i mean i don't think i think i think it's not written i think they might have done and i don't know that they would have been able to pull it off anyway but but you know what i mean that's sort of that always strikes me as the sort of that's the tender the the, the tender moment in british politics is is mid mid june um or late june you know where where if you'd got a panzer division ashore people are so freaked out about panzers you've got some falsium jaeger you know down in kent somewhere that the, the the sort of panic effect might have been enough for the Germans to, yeah. to be successful. Uh, uh, there, there however, is... however <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to say one thing. Ways. If you hear, if, if if anyone listening to this hears a little knocking occasionally, that is my bird feeder outside my window being knocked in, <laughs> knocking against the window in the wind. 
And I can't okay. do anything about it. I'm really sorry. It's not it's not Falchion Jaeger having landed in Wiltshire to cause problems. No. No, it's not actually. <laughs> so, um, so there absolutely is panic, and yeah. and it, it, when one is looking at it dispassionately, it seems yeah. absolutely ridiculous that there was yeah. this panic. Yeah, and I think what one has to do is transport oneself back to late May nineteen forty, and, yeah. and the total, absolute, blinding shock of yeah. the German success against France. Yeah. You know, th- this this was at no point did anyone think France would effectively be knocked out in 3 days, which is what happened on the 13th to the 15th of May. Yeah. You, you know, when Reynaud says, you know, we have lost, we have lost the battle on the 15th of May. Yeah. He's absolutely right. Yeah, yeah. And that has happened right, yeah. effectively. Although the, the, the launch is on the 10th of May, it is from the moment they cross the, the, yeah. the, the, the River yeah. Meuse on the 13th of May that, that the issue is. So this is all happening in incredibly quick time. Yeah. No one's expecting this because the French army is so vast, because it's such a hugely industrialised, populous country. Yeah. Um, it's one oh, of because the, they stopped the, stopped the Germans last time. And because they dropped yeah. the Germans last time, and they're better prepared in inverted commas yeah. than the, you know on paper at any rate than they were last time, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, so this is this is a strategic earthquake of of absolutely enormous proportions, and this is why you know people like Harold Wilkin, uh, Harold Nicholson, who's a junior minister in the in the government, yeah. is saying you know we're expecting stuff. You know, Vita and I, Vita Sackford West, his wife, have got um, you know cyanide pills at the ready. Yeah. You know, th- there was. Absolute panic. Now, you know, all these years later, we can look back at it and go, well, it's absolutely ridiculous. I mean, the chances of, you know, Germans doing this, absolutely zero. Yeah. Um, the, the interesting thing is, is and, and this is one of the reasons why it's such good news that Churchill takes over, because Churchill is rather unique in that he is such a student of warfare. He's such a mm. student of the world that he yeah. has this in, this innate geopolitical understanding he's so hungry for kind of understanding how military the military works and the logistics yeah. of it, the operational level which i keep banging on about yeah that he he gets it he knows perfectly well when he's doing all his having his argument with halifax on monday the 27th of may where, where halifax is saying well i think we should kind of think about peace feelers and he's going no 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 you can't possibly do yeah. that because once you open the door ajar it, it, it the wind pushes it yeah. wide open and you can't shut it again yeah the reason he's arguing that is because he knows actually there's a huge amount in Britain's favour. Well, he's a navy man. I mean, of, he's of a course, navy man, so he knows exactly. He knows exactly how powerful the Royal Navy is, and in and in relation to um, and in relation to the the, the Germans. You know, he the Kriegsmarine. He, he right. If anyone's if anyone is going to know actually what the navy is capable of and what what it's up against, it's Churchill. And I think that that's that that's often like you know, and he's just he has just come from the Admiralty. That's the other thing. It's not like it's yeah. not like it's not like people remembering the French army from last time round. It's a bloke who's who's been intimately involved in what the navy's capable of, even though he's been instrumental in Norway and the uh, uh, and Norway is a debacle. Of course, Churchill's pushing for that a lot earlier in the war, and it's it's yeah. You can't blame Churchill for, for no, Norway. no no no. No, you no, you can't. Uh, I mean, he is do, blamed but I don't for think it. He can. Yeah, exactly. He is blamed for it. But, but even had then, it, as you say, had it, had it, had everyone done it in September 1939 yeah. when he first suggested it, it would have been a really good idea. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And also, but also, he is he he is regarded as blamed for it. But he but he also 
it doesn't stick to him. It doesn't, it, it, you know, that, that particular um, uh, uh, shit doesn't stick to him on this occasion, which is, which I think is also a mark of the moment that's unfolding, you know, that, that, that now things have started in France. There's a, there's a, there's a different urgency, urgency to things. And actually Norway, Norway, the debacle in Norway is seen really as a sideshow. The minute things begin in France, isn't it? Uh, it is the truth. But like I say, he's come straight from the Navy. So if anyone's going to know what Britain's capital ships are capable of, what their what his destroyer fleet's capable of, and all that, it's, it's Churchill. And and absolutely as, as we'll as we'll I'm we're gonna say over and over again, the Navy really are in the end. It's the Navy in the end who wins the Battle of Britain. Um, you know, people have been saying that since 1958, silent victory. People like um uh uh uh, Grinnell Milne, you know, who presented this idea that that it's not the, the yes, it's the few fight the air battle, but the thing that's the sort of the thing that's the backstop, the thing that's the bouncer on the Britain's club saying you're not on the list, you're not coming in, is the Royal Navy, isn't it? Uh, yeah, uh, actually. Anyway, so but, so but we need to rewind a little bit because because the background to the whole panic. So the the, the panic is also happening at the highest military levels yeah. and at the JIC, which is a Joint Intelligence Committee, um, and at the Chief of Staff level. Yeah, and a whole series of, of 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 things happen in response to the the crisis across the continent, and very very quickly. So, first of all, yeah. you've got the local defence volunteers, which becomes the Home Guard, announced yeah. by Anthony Eden, who is the Foreign Secretary on on the fourteenth um, of May. Seventeenth of May, you've got the creation of the Ministry of Aircraft Production with Lord yeah. Beaverbrook, the press baron, yeah. owner of Daily Express, amongst others, um, in charge. You've also got on the twenty fifth, you've got British strategy in a certain eventuality, which is a paper which is printed and issued widely. Yeah, and and they don't, you know, so it's it's one of the great euphemisms to come out of any government yeah. or any yeah. military, which is is you know the certain eventuality is an invasion by German troops. <laughs> and this is what the public should do. And it's, you know, stay inside, keep panic, you know, keep yeah. calm. You know, and this is if, if you know, parachuting nuns are coming down and all the rest of it. Yeah, and all that crap. Um, yeah. and, and fifth columnist. And, you know, I always think it seems incredible that they're getting to that stage at that point. Mm. But but it is a reflection of, of the state of shock and panic. And suddenly it's it, there is this feeling that if France... And our combined armies of Belgium, the Netherlands, and Great Britain can't stop the German juggernaut. Then anything could happen. Then anything could happen, and we bloody well need to be ready for it. Yeah. And what's really interesting is that Erhard Müch, who is appointed a field marshal on... Um... You know what? Uh, sorry to interrupt, Jim, but when I yeah. read the Battle of Britain audiobook, we spent the entire length of that book arguing about how I should pronounce his name. <laughs> right. Was it Milch or Milch? Or milk, and we, we, me and my producer, we went backwards and forwards for the like six hundred pages. Is it milk, milk, or milk? And oh, in the milch. end, or milch, <laughs> and, and, and it just went because generally the German pronunciations milk. they're all right, but it's just one name, and I think we ended up calling him milk. In the end, like just, I just I gave milk. I've always called him have milk. I think it's milk. But and like, I, do you know what? And I've said it in not, front of Germans, and I haven't been corrected. But not milk. Not milk like a pint of milk. The K is that little bit of milk. That milk. little bit, tiny bit of milk. Anyway, anyway, go on. Anyway, so, Erhard so milk. Milk. <laughs> <laughs> milk. Anyway, to, yeah. for those who don't know what we're talking about, M-I-L-C-H. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, a German would say ich, wouldn't he? Or would he say ich? Ich. Ich or bin ich. ein Bernalino. Ich well, that's not a German saying that. Anyway, anyway, so <laughs> Erhard Milch says... Erhard Milch. 
Anyway, <laughs> I'm just going to call him Milk because I'm English. Okay, Milk says. <laughs> okay, Milk. So, so Milk is the number two in the Luftwaffe. Yeah. And him and Goering have a kind of Goering is commander in chief. Yeah. Try to be flamboyant. Yeah. Uh, um. Uh, yeah. A, a pretty capable fighter pilot in the First World War. Barnstormer yeah. immediately after war. Yeah. Um. A bon viveur. Incredibly clever. Absolute natural business nouse, all those yeah. sort of things, but absolutely woeful as a commander in chief of, of of a of an air force. I mean, yeah. just you know. Well, he's got that. Bi- he's got the businessman's instincts. He's trying to make a sale all the time, isn't he? With the always. That's the thing. Always. Always. He's always closing. Yeah. Go on. Yeah, and also, you know, at this point, you know, he's so flush with victory, this incredible victory, that all he's interested in is buying, hoovering up art from the Hausstücker yeah. gallery yeah. in Amsterdam, etc., yeah. etc. Et yeah. But, but. Milk flies over the Dunkirk beachhead mm. on, I think it's the 6th of June. Mm. And what he sees is endless reams of, you know, abandoned vehicles, guns, all the rest of it. Yeah. And he sees not a single Allied soldier at all. They've all gone. And so he says to, says to Goering, what are we doing? Come on, let's, let's get across now. Yeah. But Goering's only got one Fauschenberger division, not the four that he wanted. Yeah. And the Luftwaffe have been in action since the 10th of May and before that, really, yep. because they've been doing softening, you know, operations in Norway and all the rest of it. They lost, they've lost a ton of transport planes in that time. They've lost 353 transport planes on the 10th of May alone, and yep. they're only producing 23 new transport planes a month at this stage. Yeah. Yep. Um, uh, aircraft production is stagnating. So... They have got a third of what they've uh, op, you know, available for any one day. They've got a third of what they've got on paper. Yeah. Because, right. you know, they're, they're, they're worn out, they're battered. They've yeah, got op- friction, operational friction. Operational friction. Yeah. yeah. So maximum they can bring to bear is absolute maximum aircraft they could bring to bear is 2,500. But they're all in Germany. Yeah. They're not, yeah. <laughs> they're not in the Valle Calais. So you could send over bombers... They could reach, they could reach London, mm. or the South Coast, probably just about. Yeah, but you couldn't send over fighters because they're not they're not close enough. Yeah, yeah fighters yeah. can get to Dunkirk, but they can't then get across the channel. If they got across the channel, you know, they'd be there for like one minute, then have to fly back again. Mm. And it takes time to create those airfields. You just, you just, they just can't do it. And the decision has already been made on the seventeenth of of May. Yep. That. Case Red, which is the second part of the operation against France, it, with two huge more encirclements. So uh, Army yeah. Group A, for example, under Guderian, with his, mm. he's been given a new Panzer Group. That's going to s- swirl in south and another great kind of sickle cut down towards the Swiss border and yeah. encircle all the French forces in the kind of eastern part of, of France. And then there's the other drive is going to go straight down, you know, yeah. towards the towards the River Loire and uh, and the Seine and the Loire. Uh, and and that's what that's case red, and that's going to happen first, and and obviously does, and you know the, the armistice is finally signed on the what is it twenty first of, of of June um, against France. So there's always going to be you know they were they were never going to go straight on from Dunkirk to Britain. Yeah, haven't got the transport planes, haven't got the paratroopers. Yeah, haven't got the fighter planes. They're just not there. So yeah. and they haven't got the naval forces. Yeah. yeah. So so. You can wish is, it all you like. Yeah, you, you, is, you can take advantage of the fact that, that Britain's just defeated and just scuttled across the back uh, is off balance and all the rest of it. But that's there is maybe no magic, there is no magic bounce across the channel in in. It's totally impossible. Yeah, yeah. It, you know, it's 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 just 
under no circumstances can they do it at all, yeah. not remotely. Yeah. yeah. You know, there is and, no hustling to be done. And they know this, don't they? Is the, it, yes. It, 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 it's the truth. Because when it comes to planning, and I think what's, what, what, what's I mean, you know, what, what, one of the things that sort of urges I think you have to kind of resist is compare it to what the Allies end up doing for D-Day. Because after all, D-Day is, D-Day is not the Allies' first amphibious landing. You know, you, you should compare this to what the Allies do for Torch or whatever. Rather than you know what I mean, because the Allies are very, very experienced. By the time they come to D-Day, they've done it a lot. They know what they they know what they're trying to achieve. They know how they've done it. They've got massive experience from from Sicily and Salerno and Anzio, and and also an awful lot of experience in the in the Pacific as well for amphibious operations. So so you can't really you can't really go well. You know what the Germans should have done is have a thing like Schaefer, where they've got a combined headquarters where everyone's all working together and all that. Blah blah blah. Because the Allies arrive at that eventually as well. You know we we've, we've, we've if you're a regular listener to this podcast, we've talked about Monty insisting the RAF's tent be next to his tent in the desert. And that happens in 90, late 1942. Like, the, the, the pennies take a while for the Allies to drop to perfect the thing that delivers D-Day, is, is what I'm saying. So so it's I think it's difficult to be critical of the Germans not having figured those things out, perhaps in 1940. Well, I don't know. Uh, in because com- I, no, but in comparison bit, with I the Allies. In comparison, yeah, in comparison with, with the Allies, Allies definitely. Yeah. But, but, you know, but, they, but in they, comparison with common sense... Like, <laughs> which is, which is, well, or, 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 or just simple st- strategic tying your shoelaces. The, the fact that the Navy, the Navy, uh, the Navy blunt, blankly say, Kriegsmarine blankly say, we c- bluntly say, we can't do this. Yodel in the army's going, it's just a river crossing on a broad front. It'd be dead. Yeah, he's actually de- saying that. He actually says that. He actually says that. It, uh, he says, says, we need to treat it as. Yeah, on, on, on the 12th of, 12th of July, when it's just called Operation Lion Still, he says it's a river crossing on a broad front. And the Kriegsmarine are like, dear God, what, you know. Well, we're, t- we're also jumping ahead again. Because, well, because well, should, we, should we take a break and then and then yes. gather up? Let me just make my and, point about, about the OKW, on, because yeah, the OKW yeah. is, is, you know, the Germans are enlightened enough to have the OKW, which is the world's first tri-service high command. Yeah. yeah. You know, operational staff. And yet, because of the Nazi propensity for divide and rule, they're never able to reap its benefits. Yeah. They, yeah. It's never come together. And at no point, not even when Lion is just Lion, or, or any point when it becomes Sea Lion, is there a joint planning stuff. No. And, and I'm sorry, you don't need to wait till D-Day, see how the Allies no, are doing but, it, to work but, that but, one out. But you know what I mean? Exactly, exactly. But, but people often resort to the hindsight of saying, well, you know, the Allies, they had a... They had a you, you don't need to... You don't yeah. need to you don't need to go there to make that to make this point. I think no, because it's such I a complex so. operation. Anyway, we're going to take it. We'll take a quick break. We'll be back and we'll talk about the actual plans for Sea Line and then the fate of Sea Line itself. Cinetic. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Free samples, free shipping, and our 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step and into your home too. Shop Blinds.com now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off at Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.
I'm Anthony Scaramucci, former White House Director of Communications and Wall Street financier. And I'm Katty Kay, U.S. Special Correspondent for BBC Studios. I've been covering American politics for almost three decades. Welcome to The Rest is Politics U.S., brought to you by Goalhanger. Go on, tell us, were those donations you made, like Obama in 2008, was that idealism? Were you hoping to get something out of these campaigns that would serve your own business interests, for example? So I think this will either make this podcast incredibly successful, Caddy, or people <laughs> will be horrified and they'll shut it off right now because I'm going to be very real with you. The Obama donation, I had gone to law school with President Obama. We were not classmates. I was a few years ahead of him. It was 2007. He was then Senator Obama. I had a check in my breast pocket. I went over to the senator. I said, Senator, I said, you and I didn't really know each other in law school, but I'm about to hand you a big check. Can I lie to my friends and tell them that you and I knew each other in law school? (laughs) Well, Obama looks at me, had the best smile in American politics since Jack Kennedy. Forever. Yeah. He lights up. He looks at me and says, I'll tell you what, if you double the amount of the check, we'll take it back to Hawaii. Okay. And I looked at him. I said, you're done. I had another check in my pocket. I ripped it up. I doubled the amount of the check. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've been to more White House Christmas parties during the Obama administration than the Trump administration. In this pivotal year for the United States, democracy and world affairs, Britain's biggest podcast, The Rest is Politics, is launching stateside. Uncovering secrets from inside the Biden and Trump inner circles and how they shape the world's most important economy, but also the global economy too. New episodes are released every Friday morning. Just search The Rest is Politics US wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to We Have Ways of Make You Talk with me, Al Murray and James Holland. We're talking about the greatest non-event of all time, um, yes. uh, Operation Sea Lion. And, well, uh, go on. go on, Jim. Well, I was going to say, that the background to this has to be Hitler's mind. Yes. And also the minds of all the other people. So if just, just park the planning for a minute. Yeah, yeah. And just, and just think about this, this, this state of affairs. So... If Harold Nicholson is so shocked he's preparing cyanide tablets, imagine the shock of the Germans when this whole thing has actually been pulled off. But you know what? The, the, when we were talking earlier on about, you know, going, rushing around, buying art, it, it did float into my mind that phrasing this is very difficult. And obviously phrasing anything about um, uh, uh, this is currently quite, quite tricky, right? But, <laughs> um, but wouldn't it have been, and I, I'm I'm trying to qualify, wouldn't it have been absolutely extraordinary to be one of, to be Goering and Manstein and Guderian and Rommel and Hitler and all those people in 1940 when this has all worked? Yeah. Just think how sky high you would be. On, and therein lies the whole problem. Well, but just imagine if you're Helder, you're going, yeah. you're high-fiving yourself all day. Yeah. saying yeah, you're literally saying whoop every five minutes. You, it, because because why wouldn't you? You know, it's the flip, yeah. it, you know, earlier on we, we were saying, well, you know, the French army with its great reputation and it's huge and it stopped the Germans last time and the whole allied, st- you know, the strategic earthquake, the sh- as you say, imagine being those people. Just, I mean... Step aside from, I mean, and of course it's impossible to step aside from who they are and what they want. But just imagine, imagine the flush of success like that, what it would do to you. You know, and it, it, 
it I think be... this is I think this is a really really important point, and I think but it's this, this... in a way I think it's it's almost key to the whole thing. It's key to the whole thing. I mean, this is it, it this really is, Wrexham, is because Wrexham winning the the, the 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 FA Cup is what this is. Also, you know, if you're trying to think of an equivalent, they said it can never can be done, and they did it. You know, um, and they said to themselves it could never be done because after all, the the uh, the here are thinking, well, this might work. You know, the Wehrmacht are thinking this might work. This is a roll of the dice, uh, Falgelb, and then it and then it delivers in spades. So just, in, I mean, I think it's important really to think how high on their own supply they are at the moment, and they're justified to be because they have pulled off the most staggering victory, arguably in military history, haven't they? I mean, they absolutely have, and and. This is the point, you know, and, and German people are all ecstatic as well because yeah. they all think the war is over. Hitler yeah. thinks the war is pretty much over. And yeah. Naggling in the back of his ground is what to do about Britain, but he's really confident that yeah. Britain is going to sue for peace because to him, that is the only thing they can do. And this is because the Germans are continentalists and because fundamentally the Nazis are run by people who aren't very experienced at doing what they're doing. Yeah. They don't have that geopolitical understanding that right. someone like Hitler, that someone like Churchill has, for example. Yeah. So, so one of Hitler's great failings is that he always views everybody else through the, his, the prism of his own narrow worldview. Yeah. So he can't understand why Britain. He's going to offer them really generous terms because it's in no interest to him to have the empire broken up. No. He doesn't want that because you know into that vacuum goes the Japanese. That's going to be a problem. You yeah. know they're not yet allies at this point. That doesn't happen until the thirtieth of September, and he just doesn't yeah. want that. Japanese domination in the Far East at all. So that's a problem. He doesn't want any windows for the Americans who are sort of bubbling away in the background with their kind of huge population, unbelievable industrial resources, capabilities, potential, etc. He doesn't want that bubbling away. So it doesn't make any interest to him for the for the British to have their empire broken up or anything else. So he wants to give them generous terms. He'll take a few things like Malta and, you know, Gibraltar and things like that, key key places. But basically he wants to keep them intact and keep them on tab on side and ensure there's a right wing government and all the rest of it. What he doesn't understand, what he just can't understand, is that most people in Britain view Nazism in the same terms as most not most Germans view communism. Yeah. I.e., the the threat of, well, from the West is very real, uh, and that that Britain is simply not going to cosy up to the Nazis. And, you know that and, is unconscionable, and it's and just not going to happen. Not now. There's a new prime minister, who who has had the drop on Hitler for ages. You know, church, right. church. You know, now that a Chamberlain government might be a, might be a different story, might might have prevaricated, and you know, because Halifax is what's left of the Chamberlain faction. In government, isn't he? But but it's not going to happen with Churchill. It, 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 I mean, it, after all, the the Führer Directive, the sixteenth July Führer Directive number sixteen. Yeah, he says, and, and I think what's really interesting about the statement that 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 opens this is it kind of says, "I'm going to do something about this," but here it is. But maybe you know, it, it, this I is because he doesn't know what to do. He's yeah, absolutely in a flap about yeah. it. So he, he hasn't says, got a clue. As England, in spite of her hope, and England as well. So first of all... Got the geography wrong. Upset all the Scots, will you? Uh, As England, in spite of her hopeless... On your head, be it. (laughs) As England, in spite of her hopeless military situation, still shows no signs of willingness to come to terms. I have decided to prepare, and if necessary, carry out. I mean, that, that is a shit threat. I've decided to prepare, and if necessary, carry out. That is a terrible threat, because it doesn't have any... 
the gumption behind it. I might, might, might not do it. I might not do it, though. A landing operation against her. The aim of this operation is to eliminate the English motherland as a base from which the war against Germany can be continued and, if necessary, to occupy the country completely. I mean, that's all quite conditional, isn't it? Um, well, it uh, is. But but I also think, you know, there's again, there's a little bit more kind of flipping back in the in the story before you get to, to even to the 16th and that, yeah. that, that very, very loose threat. Because what happens is... is Following the armistice, you know, he goes on this tour of his old haunts of the Western Front. Yeah. Then he goes to Paris. Then he goes back to Berlin. When he goes back to Berlin, he has his, on the 5th, he then has this big triumph, you know, Caesar-like triumph through through Berlin. You know, 250,000 yeah. people line the streets. Yeah. The swastikas and those huge banners hanging from every street. There he is in his super-duper six-wheeled Mercedes, yeah. you know. He's having the time see, of his life. He's having the time of his life. And everyone's saying, you know, you are the daddy man. And he yeah. is just loving it. So he then spends another couple of days in Berlin sort of going, well, I think what we might do is we might create a sort of massive seaport at Trondheim, which we might call it you know, Atalantis, yeah. um, you know, we might do this. He starts sort of, you know, talking to, to Speer about, about Germania, you know, the sort of yeah. re, rebuilding of, of Berlin. He's totally carried away. This is absolutely the zenith of his power. You know, yeah. he's he's done everything he's promised to do. You know, he's brought pride back to Germany. He's brought jobs. Yeah. You know, he's brought, you know, he he's, he's, Kicked into touch everything from the Versailles treat, Treaty without a shot being fired. He's yeah. overrun, you know, up until 1939. Then he's kind of trousered Poland just like that. Now he's completely trousered France, you know, the, the old enemy from 1914, 1918 that yeah. causes so much trauma. He's Communists have just been absolutely, yeah. you know, put out of the dishwater. And he's surprised most as of anyone Europe, else you know, as well. You know, <laughs> he threw he he threw the gambler's dice. He chucked everything at it, and now his you know the coffers are are being replenished uh, by the twenty million Reichsmarks that are being paid every day from from France, from all yeah. you know, from Norway, from Denmark, from Netherlands, from etc. 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 Yeah, you know, so he is. He's got the crown jewels. You know, he 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 just thinks you know, and he can afford to take his time because why on earth would. Britain want to fight, and he doesn't want to do a cross-channel invasion. He doesn't really understand no. it. It's not part of his thing. He just, you know, he wants to threaten it. He wants to talk about it, but he doesn't really want to have to go through with it because it's so self-evident that the British are going to sue for peace. Because what else would they do? Yeah. And of course, what he's completely failing to appreciate is that Britain does have this huge empire, does have global assets, it does have global reach, it does have the world's largest navy, the world's largest merchant navy, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So. So what that it's you know that its army's been defeated and had to scuttle back across the across the channel, that's the least of it. And also, it's got it's got the world's first fully coordinated air defence system, which which yeah. about which he knows absolutely nothing. So the the Luftwaffe have been trying to work out what what the the uh, British strength is in terms of air defence, and they've been trying to do it for for years. And then really interestingly, Erhard Milch um, went over to Britain in 1937, and a sort of yeah. you know cro- you know when when we were nosed in the, about the, yeah yeah when we nosed about when we were doing the appeasing thing. Um, he met Dowding. Um, um, he, he met um, uh, um, uh, he didn't meet Sinclair, but he met you know all the big wigs of the. Um, he met Portal. Um, yeah. He even had a lunch in his honour at, at Bentley Priory. You know the the headquarters of Fighter Command. And, you know, they got him like a house on fire and it was all fine. And then he was doing this study in 1939 called, called Studio Blau, which is, you know, Study Blue, um, yeah. on which was a, a, an intelligent study on the strength of the RAF in Britain. 
And what they had noticed was that all these sort of lattice masts were going up all around 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 the edge of Britain. You know, first four in 1938, sort of up in Bordsey in, in in Norfolk and Suffolk, and then you know getting bigger and bigger, and then some more, and then. You know, he's wondering what was going on. So in May 1939, they send over this this Zeppelin airship to try and check out what's going on, and the British realise what's happening, and so they just scramble all their all the all the um, the radar chain that they've got at this stage. So all they get for the whole time is static, and then yeah. they send over another one in August 1939, and just by total fluke, that day is maintenance day on the radar chain, and so the whole thing is switched off. So they pick up absolutely nothing. So they think, well, whatever it is, it isn't radar. And frankly, these huge, you know, 360-foot-high like masts, they don't look like radar because our ones have kind of got big dishes and they go round and round in circles. Yeah. You know, this obviously can't be anything, you know, anything to worry about. So they just st- literally strike it off the list. But what what Milch also does is he, he <laughs> writes to a bookseller in London because yeah. he's got some gaps in his knowledge about industry and all the rest of it. He says, can you, you know, can you send me all these books on, you know, X, Y, and Z? The bookseller sends them to him. Really? Yeah, sort of guide to British railways, you know, guide to oh, kind of brilliant. you know British industry and all that. So he's got brilliant. all that, fills in the gaps. But then this is then handed over to Beppo Schmidt, who is the, um, although he's only an oberst, a colonel, he is the man in charge of the 5th Abteilung, the 5th, um, what do you call it, sort of unit um, yeah. organisation within the Luftwaffe intelligence system. Whereas the third Abteilung is run by a chap called General Martini. So Martini is, is superior. Yeah. And Beppo Schmidt's um, area is foreign signal intelligence, even mm. though he doesn't speak German himself. And yeah. he's a, he's a you know, he likes the ladies, likes a drink. He's yeah. a beer hall putsch man from 1923. Yeah. He's pals with Goering. You know, he's a bit of a laugh and all the rest yeah. of it. And he's yeah. also an intelligence officer on Goering's personal staff. So although he's lower in rank to Martini, he's yeah. definitely more influential than Martini yeah. Yeah, yeah. because of his proximity to Goering. So he is given the job of preparing an upgrading study blue, mm. which he hands over on the 19th of July, 1940. Yeah, And basically the whole thing is just absolutely... junk. It's total junk. Yeah. Totally dismisses the radar chain. Doesn't doesn't recognise at all that there's an air defence system. Um, gets the number of Spitfires and Hurricanes about right actually, but says that the Hurricane is is you know massively inferior to the ME one one zero, which is the second fighter that the Germans have as a two seater um, two engine mm. fighter plane, mm. um, and it's a personal favourite of Goering. So obviously you don't want to kind of sort of bad mouth the boss's favourite plane. The Zestora. The Zestora, the destroyer. Yeah, that's exactly. how you pronounce it. Yeah, Zestora. Zestora. We didn't yeah. have a problem with that one. No, 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 you got it. Yeah. There's no awkward CH to kind of... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mind you, there is an umlaut. There is an umlaut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we're all right with it. Anyway, uh, but, anyway but, so, so so this is just a crock of shit. So, so they, 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 they've got this kind of sort of completely false notion... Yeah, of, of what they're up of, against. Of what they're up against. They don't They don't recognise that there's an air defence system, the world's first. They yeah. don't recognise that there are different commands, you know, fighter yeah. command, bomber command, coastal command. They have no idea whatsoever. They yeah. don't realise that there are different airfields for different those different commands. Yeah. You know, they're, they're, they're literally flying in the dark. And, of course, the whole point is the whole German high command are continentalists. You know, you know the, the, yeah. the whole army is is a continental army. Yeah. The, the air force has developed organically as primarily close air support. Yeah. I know we've had those discussions about about it actually being more strategic than than you yeah. know 
at, at, at first thinking, but but you know, don't be too fooled by that because it is yeah. still very much a kind of tactical air force first and foremost. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and they're not there to operate on their own, really. Yeah. Um, and it's one thing bombing Rotterdam from you know eighty miles away. It's quite another going across the channel. To a target which is protected by an air defense system, etc., etc., and a very organized fighter defense. Um, So Hitler, on the 11th of July, goes, Oh, I've had enough of Berlin. I just need to go back to my kind of favorite place in the world, Ober Salzburg, go back to the Berghof. Yeah. So he goes down to the uh, Bavarian Alps, um, to his lovely place near Salzburg, but it's actually in Germany, and um, goes to the Ober Salzburg, goes to the Berghof, and everyone has to come to him. And yeah. the army turn up and they go, well, what we really think you should do is, is you know, we should we should um, attack on a very very broad front all the way from Lyme Regis to Deal. Yeah. And he goes, okay, yeah. great. Uh, and then and then um, um, Gross Admiral Raider and Contra Admiral Kurt Fricker, who is the chief of um, naval plans, yeah, um, turn up and they go, well, what we think is, uh, you know, the big problem is going to be. Um, mines and creating a clear channel. So yep. we think it should be on a very, very narrow, narrow front. Yeah. And then the Luftwaffe eventually, you know, Goering eventually turns out just goes, oh, well, we're just going to smash the RF and it's going to be fine. Yeah, don't worry about it. Yeah. Don't worry about it. You know, whatever, just chill, babe. And and so <laughs> then they, they say, okay, well, you go off and make your plans. And then they have, on the 31st of July, they have this big, they, they have this, yeah. this big planning conference and then a further one on the 7th of August where these ideas are starting to come to place, come, come together Having had the operation order, you know, the war directive number 16 on the yeah. whenever it was the um, um, 16th. 16th of July. Yeah. All the time that Hitler's in the, in the Berghof, he's saying, I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to give, I'm going to give a, um, you know, a final warning to, to the British. I'm going to give him an offer, but I'm going to yeah. give him a kind of a warning as well. And, and he delivers this on the 19th of July, goes back to Berlin, delivers this, this, this warning. And it's just such a damp squib, and everyone is really shocked yeah. at how soft the language is. Yeah, you know, you 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 better sue for peace, or else, you know, we're yeah, we you know, we're we're really seriously thinking we might actually possibly do an invasion. You know, it's really yeah. it's really really rubbish. Yeah, and Churchill just decides to ignore it because he says, "Well, since I'm not on speaking terms with him anyway, I'm not going to you know yeah. offer yeah, a yeah, reply." Yeah. Well, and given and given and also, but also given. He can't go back on how he shored up his cabinet position by refusing to do any to, to take any peace feelers. If you that you leave the door ajar, the door gets blown completely open. You know, straight back to there. His position. So what does he do? So what does he do, Al? Well, he tells he can- Halifax to make a broadcast. Yeah, yeah. Which he it's, does on the twenty first of July, saying, which is "Fascinating. We'll never surrender. Yeah, we're not interested in peace feelers whatsoever." He, you know, he absolutely grinds Halifax's nose in it. Yeah. It's incredible. It's, it's a, I mean, it's a, yeah, it's a brilliant piece of politics. Oh yeah, yeah. So it's, it's yes, it's br- it's brilliant politics because it's it's showing who's boss completely, isn't it? It's uh, you get the you get the old guy who, who who used to think otherwise to 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 announce the change in policy, basically, don't you? I mean, it's yeah, it's 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 brutal. And politics. at this point, Hitler is at the Beirut Opera Festival. You see, the thing is, I mean, I think one of the things that really characterizes. Uh, um, uh, the, the German position and Hitler's position is he just doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know he what to do. Been, he has been co- taken completely by surprise by they, his own success. By, by, by his the own speed. Success. They're completely. They, they, uh, and just just as much as they've caught the Allies with their trousers down, they've caught the, the Germans have caught themselves with their trousers down politically. There's there's no 
not not for one minute did anyone expect to find themselves in this situation. So not no. for, you know, which is reflected, which is reflected actually by the fact that Kriegsmarine has never ever pointed itself in the direction of being able to put an invasion into Britain. It's not a contingency at all. Absolutely so, not at all. So they're it's having to start from scratch because because abs- at no point ever was it was any of this ever a possibility. No, you know, well, the other thing is they just haven't planned for it. So yeah. so, so there is yeah, no yeah. plan B. You know, what, yeah. okay, so what happens if, if you know, Guderian and von Manstein are right and I'm right as I'm Hitler? Yeah, um, yeah. You know, what happens if I'm right and we do actually knock out the French in six weeks? Yeah. No, no what do we do there? No, no one's, one's thought about that, that because point. no one thinks it's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. So so they haven't thought about it. And, and yeah. so the plan B is Britain will sue for peace. Yeah. And so when Britain doesn't sue for peace, it's like, oh, um, okay, so what do we do now? I mean, yeah. do you know, Al, how many flat-bottomed craft the Kriegsmarine have on the 14th of June, 1940? Well, I mean, it's, what, uh, prop, requisitioned craft? Just craft? just within their arsenal, within oh, the arsenal know. of uh, 45. Uh, yeah, there we are. <laughs> okay. How many were there for D-Day? 4,167? Yeah, well, exactly. You know, exactly. So, exactly. Uh, so, so... They're developing a thing called a, a marine fairprom, um, which is a motorised sort of a barge, but yeah. that's not ready till 1941. No. There's the Pioneer Landungsboot 39, but only two have been made by September 1940. There's also yeah. a thing called a Zeebel ferry, uh, but there are not very many of them, and you know that yeah. is that really is a, a ferry, it's so a that's ferry. that's okay for going across a kind of harbour. Yeah, it's it's not really for. Yeah, it, it's it's mill pond only. Right, <laughs> you know so, operations. So, so what they're going to have to use then in that case, and I think this is this this, I think that this thing often gets overlooked as well as well is that they, they bring together barges, don't they? They do. So they, they assemble a fleet of barges that to transport barges for for moving coal about, pulled by tugs or by other boats. Uh, uh, that most of them are unpowered. The sort of thing, if you go to the Rhine, you'll see on the Rhine going up the, you know, the, 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 those great long boats going up the Rhine. Well, they're probably not, probably not as big as the modern versions, but you know what I mean? Yeah. That's what they're talking about. Now, of course, first, and, and a lot of people say, you know, one of the things people say about sea line, well, you know, the issue with those is they're very slow. They're not very seaworthy. You know, uh, 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 they're only any good up to force two winds. I don't know how... Clearly, people remember they're both at scale, but they're, they're, yeah. they're, they're you know a force three, and they're really interesting. A force three is basically it's a normal great. day, right? Yeah. So, so, but actually, the other drawback with those is you're removing them from the economy, and you aren't able to keep your shipping, your internal shipping. And Germany, after all, is the great country of the Rhine. Its economy relies on Rhine shipping barges going up and down the Rhine. And okay, they're half-inch Dutch ones and. Belgian stuff that they've taken in the in the invasion, but the point is, in order to prepare for sea lion, yeah, they're they're gumming up the economy, and the German economy has been running hot since 1937 38 anyway. Yeah, has not been functioning normally because they've they've essentially been on a war footing um, since before the war. So so even getting even getting the sort of bare bones preparations of sea line together is having a huge effect on the on, on Germany itself. So there's another reason for them to sort of suck their teeth and go, I don't know if this is a good idea right now, because, yeah. because we, we, so, we, so do you know, so, so, so Hitler, it's, so it's very interesting because he has all these sort of, you know, these military aides and stuff. He's got a Luftwaffe yeah. aid and a, and a military yeah. aid and his, and his, and his army aides, a chap called Gerhard Engel, yeah. Major Gerhard Engel. And he keeps a diary throughout this time. And, 
when Hitler gets to the Burkhoff on the 11th of September, and he has all these series of meetings over the next couple of days, first yeah. of all with the uh, the Kriegsmarine, then the army, and then Luftwaffe, he says, Engel, uh, Engel says, says, my impression is that Führer is now more irresolute than ever and does not know what to do next. Because uh, because the plans between the the Navy, the Kriegsmarine, and the army are yeah. so at odds. Yeah. So so the army's plan is not only just to do it on this incredibly wide front. It's also to land, you know, ninety thousand men in the initial assault. Then a further sort of two hundred sixty thousand by the third day. Airborne yeah. troops would land either in the Lime Bay area or in Portsmouth. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but but this is total la la land. I mean, you know, yeah. it is it is these plans have been put together without a single conversation with the Navy. Not one. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, it is, if you ever want a kind of a demonstration of the bubble in which these continental Wehrmacht are operating, it is this. You know, they, it's just mind-boggling that they could be quite so obtuse. It's interesting, I mean, interesting that, you know, that we keep coming back to the fact they're continental. I mean, maybe this explains partly why... Until there are actually armies in Berlin and in Germany, the Germans don't realise the game's up because they they can't think in the strategic picture. You know, because we've I've, I always say by mid forty three, you've had the battles that prove you're finished. Yeah, but because they're continental, unless there's soldiers in Berlin, the Germans just can't get the message. Yeah. Whereas the the British know perfectly well that 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 you, you, you do you see what I mean? That it's it's this because they're continental, they have to think in terms of boots on the ground in in Germany to, to quantify a defeat, to be able to measure a defeat, as it were. I mean, anyway, the, so, so well, they're irresolute. The, the Luftwaffe, because the, the other thing is a meanwhile here, and the meanwhile is that the Luftwaffe are trying to trying to gain air superiority in air superiority battle with, with fighter command at this at this point. So when Engel goes to see Hitler, what you say, 11th of September, you know, the Battle, the battle of Britain is on, is, is running at full tilt at this point, isn't it? And the well, it, not, not at this point, no, because the Battle of Britain doesn't really start until the thirteenth of of August. On, I've read your on book and uh, your Eagle Day starts in September nineteen thirty nine. Got your book. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> no, but, 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 no, but the, the all out air attack, but the all out attack of the Eagles doesn't start until the thirteenth of August. Yes, but when when did Engel see? When did Engel go and see uh, Hitler? When did when was that? Sorry, I've I've I think oh, I missed. So so, so the, the the discussions about what to so, so the, the the canal camp starts in July. Yeah, you know yeah. officially the Battle of Britain starts on the tenth of July, nineteen forty. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, and that is where operations start happening on on channel shipping and all this kind of stuff. They're trying yeah. to goad the RAF out as. Luftwaffe fighter planes are and, and airfields are being established yeah. in the Pas de Calais, but it's a slow burner. You know they're not ready for the all-out assault. The all-out assault is that's Eagle Day, and you know that's when all their forces are up on the you yeah. know up near the Pas de Calais, up near the Channel, ready to to put all their effort mm. against against the RAF. That's not till August, but this is all happening in. So the discussions about what to do about the invasion are happening in July. The the, the 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 directive happens on the sixteenth. There is a further conversation with the navy on the thirty first of July, which is where they go. You know, we're going to have to take a thousand barges out of the River Rhine yeah. and elsewhere. Yeah. That's twenty four thousand men. All yeah. all current repairs and operations on any other vessel, any other type at all whatsoever, Stop. are going to have to be yeah. have to be stopped in favour of this. Yeah. You know, this is going to be a monumental but, effort. But my point is, Jim, is the it's the Luftwaffe here. Yes, the army and yes, the army and the navy are, are, are planning, and the planning is wide at odds with each other. The Luftwaffe is just doing its own thing anyway. 
Yeah, and, and they're, they're, they're developing their plan. So their plan is developed by, I think, I can't remember whether it's the 1st or the 4th of August that Goering has yeah. his, his big conference at Corrin Hall where he shows them their model, model train set with the bombers on the wire and all yeah. the rest of it. Yeah. Um, but, but they're waiting for four days of clear weather. So yeah. they're good to go from the kind of first week of August, but yeah. they don't they don't do that until, yeah, to, you know that isn't happening until um, the thirteenth of August. Yeah, but 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 what they're not but what they're not doing is shaping the bat not properly shaping the battlefield as people say now in no. preparation for Sea Lion. They're doing Goings kind of here's let's destroy the RF. Come on, boys, we're, let's we're go. Destroy the RAF and, and see how we do it. And it's not—it's not coordinated. It's not plugged into a possible sea line properly, is it? No, um, and uh, that still hasn't. That is because the, the sea line plan is yet. ironed out on the seventh of August. Yeah. But it's it's ironed out in, in in a kind of very unsatisfactory way with lots of holes and lots of lots of details still to be. It's, it's only very much a rough plan. Yeah. And the biggest yeah. problem, of course, is is that the navy is only fifteen percent of the size of the Royal Navy, the Kriegsmarine. Yeah. It's yeah. absolutely tiny. The bulk yeah. of the home fleet is ready in the southeast, ready to pounce just at the moment. Not yeah. only have you got to clear the huge minefields that exist all around Britain's coastline, you've also got to you've also got to line your own invasion front with mines. Yeah. To make sure that your flanks are secure, that's not very easy. No. And you've got to do that under the watch of the Royal Navy, which just isn't going to happen. So, yeah. of course, the, the Kriegsmarine are incre- in, incredibly sceptical about the whole thing. But, of yeah. course, the army are incredibly gung-ho because they've just had this great victory. It's like, yeah. how hard can it be if we treat it like a river crossing, et cetera, as you were saying earlier on? And Hitler is but- in the middle of this going, I don't really know what to do. I just want them to sue for peace because this all sounds like a whole load of hassle. And the Navy are also saying you've got, Really, the last window for this is the nineteenth, twentieth September, when the tides and the, and yep. and everything will be in our favour. And after that, we get into post equinox weather, and things get much, much, much more difficult. So, how about what we do is uh, for our next episode, we fast forward to nineteen seventy four, when Sea Lion was war gained at Sandhurst by a staff college at Camberley. First time ever in in what's known as the first academic war game, um, first mainstream academic war game, and we'll find out what happens if Operation Sea Lion goes ahead. Should we do that, Jim? Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> okay. Thanks very much for listening. We'll see you next time. Cheerio. Cheerio. Cheerio.